how did Agepreneur and the podcast get started? My raising my hand as a consultant ultimately resulted in the development of International Solutions Group as a consulting company. That company grew rapidly and bigger than I was. And so it afforded me the space to say, how can I continue to contribute and be a thought leader? And the fun thing is, is that guess what? I didn't start a podcast. <laughs> First, we actually, we tried a blog and that didn't, that didn't go anywhere. Oh, interesting. And then we tried an online magazine and that didn't go anywhere. Huh. And then we tried to do some kind of interview things and that didn't go anywhere. You know, at one point we realized we had recorded some interviews with people. And I said, look, you know, there's this podcasting thing that's happening. Let's try that and see what happens. Four years later, we had 180 episodes. Hi, everybody. This particular episode is for the creatives among you, the storytellers, the artists, the advocates, the community builders. Today's episode is going to be a little bit self-indulgent. We're going to spend most of this side chat talking about podcasting in the aid industry. I decided, as you know, to start a podcast not that long ago. Why did I do that? Because I love this space. I love how personal a podcast can feel. I love how it can be like going for a walk or cooking a meal while you're catching up with an old friend. I knew I wanted to make something like this, but I'd never done anything like this before. Not even close. So I started looking around for other podcasts that could inspire me. It was surprisingly hard at the time in 2019 when I first started looking. But there was one that did catch my attention. It was the Terms of Reference podcast by Stephen Luddick. Stephen ran this podcast for four years, from 2014 to 2018, and recorded almost 200 episodes with aid workers, social entrepreneurs, and changemakers. His guests include folks like Patrick Fine, the CEO of FHI 360, or USAID's Chief Innovation Officer, Alexis Bonnell, to name a few. Of course, as I do, I stalked him relentlessly on the internet until he agreed to be on my show. So today's episode is my conversation with Stephen. In this conversation, we talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur in the aid sector. We talk about creativity and craftsmanship and the importance of consistency and execution to get to your goal. And we reflect on the importance of talking not just to the experts and the celebrities and the founders out there, but also to the everyday people that we can relate to that can guide and inspire all of us along our journey. I hope you enjoy hearing us dive deep on the craft. But now let's hear from Stephen. We start off with a brief recap of his work in the aid industry. I got my first degree in farm and ranch management from Colorado State University. Really? And then, you know, after I got that degree, I went immediately into the technology field because that's exactly what you do after you <laughs> get a degree in farm and ranch management, <laughs> which is an economics degree, incidentally. Hmm. Um, and, you know, after I worked in the tech business for a while, this is, I'm going to date myself, this is the dot-com boom. It was the year, the year 2000. Great time to be in tech, though. It was. It was. I wish that I had one of those dot-coms that went whoosh instead of boom, but there, there you go. Mm. Um, you know, I found myself kind of flying around the world, uh, working for a tech company and woke up one day, uh, literally woke up one day in New Delhi and, you know, and it was another hotel room, kind of another thing. And I just, I, I, I said, you know, is this, am I really contributing? Is this really what, you know, I, I want to be doing? And I had at that point mm. seen enough of the world where I knew that there was something, uh, you know, a greater purpose that I wanted to find myself doing. And so this is the true story. And um, I, I actually called my my uncles and aunts and I said, how does somebody become an ambassador? 
because I thought that was is one of them an ambassador? No, none of them are. But you know, I, I'm I'm I was fairly obtuse about how things these things worked at the time. And you know, <laughs> after several conversations, people said, "Look, maybe you should you know think about getting a master's degree and looking into this you know part of the service world." That's not bad advice. That led me to American University eventually. I got a degree in mm-hmm. international peace and re- re- conflict resolution. Uh, from American University huh. back way back in the early 2000s, and that's where again I stumbled into the into the aid and development universe. I started working for the university. <laughs> we did had a great you know third party diplomacy project in Turkey, Armenia, Azerbaijan, uh, and then the Iraq War happened, and that's where it all started. And then I know you spent many years as a as a practicing aid professional, doing the projects on the ground, visiting different countries, um, as you know as people in the sector do. What was the moment? That inspired you to set up Aidpreneur. I think I've that that must have been a very very much a break from you know just falling into the the mold of a typical aid professional. You know, I'm a fairly classic entrepreneur in in terms of you know my personality. I'm always I see problems everywhere, and fortunately, I usually either suggest solutions or I work with other people, and I say, "Wow, there's a, there's a different way to solve this," right? Hmm. Um, and so as I worked my way through working for the school and then working for a large NGO. And then, you know, I kind of had one of those life moments where I met the woman who's now my wife. That sounds like a big deal. <laughs> well, this is, you know, we're both living in Washington, DC. We, you know, we get, we met and we're like, Hey, let's get married. That's a great thing. And we had a little competition <laughs> to see who could, uh, you know, who could get the first job overseas because we knew we both wanted to have an international life. Oh boy. Nothing like competing with your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> well, she got three job offers. I got zero. Oh, so the, the path, the path was well, clear. Congratulations to her. <laughs> the path was clear. Um, she's featured on the podcast in case anybody wants to know. You can learn all about her. I love that episode. But, um, you know, so once we started on that journey, I had to figure out something to do. And the, the <laughs> classic the classic thing to do is I raised my hand and said, hey, does anybody, you know, we, the first place we moved was to Jordan because that's mm-hmm. when, you know, this was post-Iraq Iraq war. And, you know, there was a lot of aid money going there and whatnot. And that's where her first position took us. And I said, look, you know, what, hmm. what can I do? Who can I work for? You know, how can I contribute? And to, to take, you know, do, how did Aidpreneur and the podcast get started? My raising my hand as a consultant, you know, ultimately resulted in the development of International Solutions Group as a consulting company. That company grew rapidly and bigger than I was. And so it afforded me the space to say, how can I continue to contribute and be a thought leader? This is huh. now, you know, this is now 10 years ago. And the fun thing is, is that guess what? I didn't start a podcast. (laughs) Uh, First, I started when we when we were sitting around kind of saying, how can we be thought leaders? You know, first, we actually we we tried a blog and that didn't that didn't go anywhere. Oh, interesting. Then We tried an online magazine and that didn't go anywhere. And then we tried to do some kind of interview things and that didn't go anywhere. Fascinating. These are all the things you don't hear about, you know, when you go on the website. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, lots of different iterations. And then, you know, at one point, this is probably um Gosh, now it's you know this is eight years ago or so. Uh, you mm. know, some you know we we realized that I the the sort of the staff I was working with we realized we had recorded some interviews with people, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, look, you know, there's this podcasting thing that's happening. Let's try that and see what happens. Um, and <laughs> so we took those interviews and we turned them into the first episodes of the Terms of Reference podcast. Um, and then you know it just felt right. It felt good for me. And you know, if you go back oh. way way back to episode number one, they're terrible. Even through episode number <laughs> number twenty, they're terrible because I didn't. You know, nobody knew how to do it, and it's you know, how do you do it? You know, this is where we're still recording things over Skype, and you know, then you know, 
what kind of audio, you know, sort of recording, um, editing material do we have, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, eventually what, what ended up happening was we found that, you know, I found that I, fa- I there, there was a medium here that not only um, worked, but it worked well and I was really comfortable in it. And so you know, huh. there you go. Four years later, we had 180 episodes. That's awesome. And what's remarkable about even the area that you started, like you started in 2014, back then podcasting was was just sort of picking up. And I also have mm-hmm. the sense, we've talked about this before, about how the development community is a bit behind in the podcasting sphere. You know, there's a million podcasts out there about technology or innovation or business and such. Uh, and there's some on development, but not nearly the same as in other sectors. So I guess I'm I'm impressed that you were drawn to it and that you were able to stick to it and that it worked better for you than the newsletter format or, or the blogs. You know, blogs were much more the thing at that period of time. Yeah, for sure. What was it about the medium that really worked for you? I am, I'm a social individual. I'm, you know, and at the end of the day, as I'm sure that you've experienced on your podcast as well, is that I just got the privilege to have an excuse to call people who I didn't know. It's so true. Uh, you know, and then have an, <laughs> have an hour long conversation and, you know, the, conversations were always very interesting. I always, I always came away learning at least two or three things I didn't know. Yeah. You know, and it just ultimately at the end of the day, the, the experience for the podcaster, the host is incredible, right? I mean, not only <laughs> do you then get to go tell everybody about this conversation that you had, you have, you're actually asked to go do that because you, they want you to promote it and they want, you know, they want to get their name out there as well. And so it's just a, it's this triple win for anybody who starts a podcast and really, you know, puts some effort behind it. But then, you know, let's be, let's be fully clear to everyone who's listening. It ended up becoming a heck of a good marketing tool for the consulting company. Right. Oh, that makes sense. In a, in a stealth way. We know, I mean, if you go back and you listen to the episodes, I mean, the, the company that sponsors the podcast is International Solutions Group, right? But also (laughs) as a professional in that space, especially since we were a consulting company, you know, competing with others for business and whatnot, we heard very often, not very, let's not say very often. We heard more than, more than a few times that, Mm -hmm. you know, when it came down to choosing us or somebody else for a particular piece of work or, you know, choosing me or somebody else's, you know, as, as a, you know, individual consultant, um, more than more, more, more times than I, I can shake a stick at, uh, you know, people would say, you know what it was that the, the bids were so equal. But then we heard the podcast and we just, we knew you were credible. We knew you were legit. <laughs> we knew you were, you know, you, we knew what you're talking about. And so that was nice. how they made the decision. So there you go. That's awesome. Steven, let's switch uh, a bit towards talking about the, the conversations that you had, like that content that you were sharing with the community out there. Um, you talked a bit about how your approach evolved over the years that you were running that podcast. Um, can you first describe the idea behind the podcast that you started out with and then, and then go into how that idea evolved over the years that you were running it? Sure. Like so what were the, the themes the, and that you wanted yeah, to Yeah, yeah. The, the you- very first... <laughs> You know, the very first few episodes, again, just to be completely, you know, transparent, were like, hey, does this work? How does this work? What does a conversation sound like? You know, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But very quickly, <laughs> I found that I kept asking the same questions to people. And hmm. those those questions were really focused on what ultimately became the theme of what we call the first series. The first 100 episodes focus on how do you create a sustainable and satisfying career in the social sector? Right. Uh, because that's question. one of the, one of the most difficult questions for anybody in this, in this sector is I love the work I'm passionate about it and whatnot, but I get paid pennies. 
Or I make the choice to get paid, but then I'm not really doing the work that I want to do. Or how do you have a family and, and actually live overseas or live in these crazy environments oh. that are not, are not, you know, what we would call normal life. Right. Um, or, oh, Hey, man. I've got third, I've got third culture kids. What do I do about that? And so, <laughs> you know, those first 100 episodes really focused on that. And then I, mm-hmm. I've, you know, once we got to a hundred, I said, you know what, I think we've answered these questions. And we ended up actually creating a little bit of an information uh, an information product that for lack of a better term called making it right. And, and we, we basically hmm. said, look, there's these seven themes that we found, uh, you know, across these hundred conversations. So, you know, again, people can go check that out at Apron or if they want, it's still up there. Um, but oh, then thanks. I wanted to pivot. I wanted to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I feel like we've got a really good handle on that conversation for right now. And so I want to do something different yeah. and, and really where my passion lies as an entrepreneur is how do we innovate? How are we solving problems in a different way? And so mm. I started to you know, reach out to guests and specifically ask them and say, look, how are you breaking the mold? How are you answering nice. you know, these development and assistance questions differently? And what are you doing specifically to do that? And that's where we, you know, we went down the rabbit holes of tech companies and, um, uh, you know, blockchain companies and <laughs> net, new net, new networking opportunities and these kinds of things. And that was, you know, really quite, you know, quite fascinating to see how these different, you know, individuals, entrepreneurs, and even big organizations were, were innovating. So those are the two big themes that the, that the podcast kind of went around. Yeah. And obviously the, they're both, you know, both the career search and the innovation search are big areas of exploration for me as well. I found on the innovation side, there's so many different angles in which to tackle that question. You know, one of the things I'm constantly wrestling with is, you know, do I bring in someone from a nonprofit because the audience can relate to that? Or do I bring in someone from the private sector because they'll bring in something fresh? Do I bring in someone from government? Do I bring in someone from, I don't know, a researcher or, or the academic space? And it's just it's just a whole different mix of, of folks that you, you could get on the show. Did you have any kind of, of guiding star in, in, in your, as you were like picking the guests for the show or or, or is it just kind of like, you know, as it goes? I didn't have a guiding star. We, you know, we had, a you know, the, the people that I worked with to help produce the show, you know, we kind of, we kept a Trello board and every time we would, you know, I would see a, a, a neat article or, you know, I would hear something or see a tweet or somebody, you know, I would, I would kind of throw their name up on the Trello board and then we would just start our process of knocking on the door and, you know, see who would answer us. Right. <clears throat> um, Fun. Luckily, you know, we got to some, Great people. I mean, I've, you know, on the show is everybody from, you know, directors of agencies in the U.S. government to CEOs of some of the, you know, these big aid agencies or sorry, um, you know, private companies or or NGOs. And so (laughs) it's great. But what I also found really interesting was uh, for me, and this is just this, I don't know, it's very non-business friendly. It's not a good business move for anybody who's listening. I'm interested in talking about the people who are actually doing the work. You know, so it's, we have this, we have this, uh, you know, at least in the Western world, still these, you know, we, we look for the brightest stars who are the big leaders who are running the big organizations, who's, you know, shooting to the top. And I think that that's great, but I also think most of those people are detached from reality pretty quickly. And so, um, you know, part of my fascination, especially in the first part of the series was let's, let's talk to people who are actually, you know, in Dakar, you know, let's talk to people who are actually in, you know. Uh, Cambodia, doing the work, That's giving awesome. the vaccinations or whatever, right? Because at the end of the day, that is the person who you, we relate most to at the end, right? Because not very few yeah, of us and, and, being and, a CEO, right? 
And those are the people that run the industry. You know, you're only going to have one, you know, USAID administrator at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, there's a, there's a whole army of of young, passionate people trying to make a difference. And if we can sort of paint out what is something that that worked, or something that we learned, or something that we can do better in this uh, scenario that a person can relate to, then maybe we could influence, you know, a hundred thousand other people. Since we only need we only need so many presidents. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, and it's also power dynamic and power structure, right? Because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, we, as you bubble to the top of an organization, by definition, you become further and further distant from what actually the organization does, unless you take the time to specifically go and get back in the trenches. And so at the end, you know, we're really what we, what we want to do or there, you know, again, it's very altruistic or, you know, it sounds altruistic at the end of the day is how do we flip the script? How do we, how do we flip the pyramid (laughs) on its head? to say, look, what we really need are less policies and more just practical reality and adult conversations. You know, like that's, oh. anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> you're, you're gonna, you know, I get, I get, I get, I, I got a pretty big soapbox to stand on, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful question to ask. I, I can't even, wow, yes. <laughs> that really, uh, that really hit a nerve <laughs> for me as it were. Stephen, over the years, another another question actually about your your experience or your journey with this podcast. I'm sure it gave you the chance to refine your your voice or your perspective. You know, they say other people are the lens through which we see ourselves clear. Um, and you had the chance to brush shoulders with many different kinds of individuals, all trying to make aid work better somehow, one way or the other. Um, how did your voice or your role as as the host of this podcast, or even as the as the head of Aidpreneur, as the head of ISG? How did that change over the years as you gained more confidence and more experience and more perspective? Wow, that is intense. (laughs) The instant reflection is that the conversation I had confirmed the view that I lived about how we should be serving the world, right? And I started a consulting company, uh, you know, one out of necessity, but two, because it really fit my personality and profile for how I like to approach solving problems. And I uh-huh. have been, you know, the the conversations I had over the life of the podcast only confirmed that not, you know, I don't want to say aid is broken. I don't want to be one of those same, you know, add my voice to that yeah. particular thing, because <laughs> what I, what I, what I want to say is, is that there's so many options to do it differently, right? Helping and serving nice. people can be, can be done differently. And yes, it really, at the end of the day, you don't even need a big funder to do it. You don't need all of the trappings in these, you know, the the the, the whatnots in order to go and serve people. Hmm. And so uh, it, it hmm. really just solidified my view that what really creates change, and, you know, if, if you give you back that change, you know, it, it always starts with one person, right? If you want to create change yeah. somewhere, you need to first really, truly believe it and have that passion. And then you need to be the first voice and then you need to be the first action taker. And then you need to be able to convince others to take action with you. These are not, not wow. easy things. It's, you know, not, not easy things at all. Yeah. No, but I, I really love that message, Stephen, that you're that you're talking about there. You know, I think for the typical person who wants to do good in the world, they're like, okay, you know, let me go find a big NGO and follow them around, which is great. Obviously, you know, like there's lots mm-hmm. of good work that those guys are doing. Um, but you don't hear enough of people just trying to do it differently. You know, you don't when you hear entrepreneur, you don't really think, or maybe, maybe it's just me, but like a lot of people don't really think of the aid sector <laughs> and mm-hmm. individual entrepreneurs in it. But it sounds like that's the ethos that you're describing. That's the change. That's the approach to change making that you're both describing and living in your work. Mm-hmm. Stephen, 
you no longer do the podcast. You stopped doing the podcast, uh, I think, three years ago at this point. Is there anything that you think you left undone that folks like me or other, you know, up and coming podcasters in this space, ways in which you, you know, in which we could carry on the torch? What I would say to the you and the podcast community today, I'm still in the podcast community. I run a different podcast now, but you know, whatever, you know, what I would do is I would combine it with community. Ultimately at the end of the day, that has always been my big, big focus is how do we build communities that have voice and you know, essentially lift up people in their careers or in their personal lives or whatever. That was the focus of Aidpreneur. If you wanted to go start nice. a consulting company in the aid world today, everything on the Aidpreneur site, there are blueprints of how to do it, right? Like we gave the company <laughs> away. At the end of the day, it's all about execution, right? There's no, there's no like life-changing intellectual property there. There is just, hey, you know, here's, here's stuff and, and here's the the one story of one group of people. And you can, you know, you can copy and paste this and probably do pretty well yourself as long as you have the ability to get up, be consistent and execute. Nice. You know, at the end of the day, this is where, you know, you kind of see the phenomenon of clubhouse today, which who knows (laughs) if that's going anywhere, but got to try that. But what what ultimately happens is, is people come and they listen to your conversation and they want to contribute, right? They want to say, oh yeah, I thought, or let me tell you about my experience or, Hey, could I ask you that follow-up question that she forgot um, or wasn't able to get to? And so this is where podcast turns to online community, turns to events, turns to, you know, movement. That would be the vision that I have for those who are so inclined. Nice. Nice. That's great. Definitely what you're saying there resonates in that there's something real and authentic and practical and human about podcasts. And, you know, I'm, I'm guessing conversations like Clubhouse because there's a human on the other side. It's not some stiff tome that you pulled out of a shelf somewhere. And that's <laughs> part of the beauty of these of these modern tools that we use to try to feel connected to each other. So, Stephen, you mentioned you have another podcast. Uh, I understand you're doing something completely different now than what you did when you ran the Terms of Reference podcast with Aid Premier. What's going on with you now? So where have I pivoted? I am... Um... Again, uh, there's a little bit of serendipity in my life in this You're regard. Lucky guy. So along the way, while ISG was running, I, I bought a, I bought a blog called Moodle News, huh. and this, I, I purchased it in 2015. If you've ever just heard of kicks. Moodle, it's a, it's not just for kicks. It's be, because I was very interested in how do we, or how do I, you know, become a part of you know the monetization of the of the interwebs, right? And Hmm. so this was a blog that another person had started and was very successful at, you know, sort of creating a community and he had a small advertising base and it, you know, looked like a really neat diamond in the rough. Um, And so I went and I bought it from him as a, as a side, as a side hustle and Moodle news for everybody who doesn't know Moodle is a learning management system. Uh, It's the largest one in the world. It's open source. It has some 300 million users that use it around the world. And, um, yeah, it's it's the guy who started his name is Martin Dugiyama. It's not my blog, but the he started Moodle itself. It's you know it's huh. he's a he's a force to reckon with in the e-learning universe. Those are serious numbers. So now, what you ask me, what I'm doing now is um, you're familiar with the, this term called coronavirus. <laughs> oh, it's, it's come up once or twice. <laughs> That's propelled e-learning and online learning space into somewhat of a focus for most people in the world. Oh, definitely, I got really lucky in the fact that uh, Moodle World, Moodle News is now called LMS Pulse, and we are in the thick of that conversation. And I, I have recently started a podcast over the last year called the the e-learning podcast. Nice. I'm doing the exact same thing that I did on Aidpreneur. I am happily already connected with 
so many people in the e-learning space who are either technologists or innovators or entrepreneurs or industry titans. And, you know, we have them on the podcast to talk about how are they addressing these issues of student engagement, of, you know, adoption of innovation, et cetera. And, you know, we're just having those conversations and we're going to see where it goes from there. Yeah. And that's definitely a topic where wherever you are in the world, whether you're in the United States or South Africa or, or such, like you're, you're dealing with online learning, you're dealing with, uh, with, with children's education and how do we do it during the pandemic and everything else? Well, this is cool. I mean, I have had, I have had uh, a woman who had to stand up an entire online learning platform in you know, the middle of the Congo. I had her on the podcast, right? Oh, that sounds hard. Yeah. And she, so basically she tells the story of how they basically built it all around WhatsApp, right? That's amazing. But I've had other directors and executive level people of companies like Instructure that runs the Canvas system and et cetera, you know, some of these other big, again, industry titans. And they come and they talk about, you know, these, these issues, you know, large and small. So it's fun <laughs> stuff. That's awesome. That's great. Stephen, is any last comments that you want to make or reflections about your journey or leaping development or any of those um, that you wanted to add? My well, for you, Rowena, my the, at the end of the day, <laughs> just like anything, any any entrepreneurial venture, it would be a podcast, whether it be a you know a community movement or whatever. If there's anything that my 20 years of doing this has taught me, it's that it's all about consistency and execution. Right? You have hmm. to show up every day or every week or every month, whatever schedule that you have agreed with yourself and with your community, you have to mm -hmm. do it. You have to, you have to show up. And what ultimately ends up happening is that you find that the people who can show up with consistency and execute consistently are the ones that, you know, you create this library or you create this legacy, or you actually start to see what is the, the giant cruise ship of progress. You know, you can move it that one degree. And yes. if you move that, that cruise ship, that one degree over time, that one degree ends up taking it in an entirely different direction. I believe it. It's like that, uh, that book about 10,000 hours is what it, what it takes for, for you to be an expert. When I look at the podcast right now, there's a handful of conversations, but I can, I can imagine that future where there's, there's all these conversations about agriculture. There's all these conversations about funding and deployment and like all these different sectors and spaces. And I can just see like all the different ways in which it could grow. And I think what's exciting is each individual conversation is its own, its own gem. But when you put them all together, just like the wealth of information that I could put out there, I think is, is part of, part of what's exciting about all of this as part of the dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephen. It was a joy talking to you. I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure, Rowena. Thank you so much. If you'd like to listen to Stephen's podcasts on innovation and aid, search for Terms of Reference wherever you get your podcasts. Today, Stephen specializes in learning management systems, by which I mean applications and tools to improve education. This is particularly relevant in these COVID years as online learning or e-learning has taken off. As part of this, he runs lmspulse.com, runs the e-learning success summit, and of course, hosts a new podcast called the e-learning podcast. If you like the show, and maybe more importantly, if you didn't, let me know by dropping me an email at podcast at Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.